Hi, welcome to the Tell Me What You're Proud Of podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maggie Perry. I'm a licensed psychologist with a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. I'm also the founder of the online group therapy platform, Huddle.Care. I love helping people overcome anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, mood disorders, and stress. Please join us each week as we share real sessions with actual clients that reveal helpful techniques for effectively dealing with anxiety, OCD, mood disorders, and stress. We'll discuss what effective therapy looks like, sounds like, and feels like. We'll follow our guests as they overcome their biggest fears and find that despite their biological vulnerabilities, they can still live a rich, full, and meaningful life. My therapeutic approach is strengths-based and seeks to find and reinforce what clients do well to help them generalize those skills towards areas where they're stuck. My model for psychotherapy can be summed up as this. You tell me what you're proud of, and I'll help you become effective and happy across all areas of your life. Thanks for listening, and let's get the show started. Hi, it's Dr. Maggie Perry with Tell Me What You're Proud Of. On today's um, episode, I'm talking with Jim, and Jim and I will discuss what got him into psychotherapy and then his psychotherapy process. So thanks so much, Jim, for being on my podcast. Can you tell me what was happening before you sought out psychotherapy? Sure. Um, I, I, was, I was working in a, in a really high industry or high, high stress industry, sorry. Um, and, um, and I was starting to struggle. Um, you know, before that, you know, I, I'd, I'd been, a, I'd been in school and I had excelled there. I'd somehow managed to, um, to, to kind of consistently work, you know, 60 and 80 hour weeks, uh, without, without getting too burned out. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I was diagnosed with an illness, uh, that I think started to slow me down, um, a good little bit, but I, I, I didn't really want to, face the fact that it was slowing me down. So I started to burn out real bad um, in, the, in this industry um, after, after working. Uh, can I slow you down for a second? Can, yeah. you, can you say more about um, why it was hard to accept that you had the illness that you had? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I had, I, I, had, I had built up a lot of my identity around um, the idea that I was going to accomplish X, Y, and Z in my professional career. Um, and I was going to do so at just about any cost. Um, and I think the reason it was hard to think about whether or not some of those things were still going to be, you know, all of those things were still going to be possible. Um, light of, of, of being diagnosed, um, was, was really tough. Um, you know, it was, it was, I think, I think mainly because it was scary. Um, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty involved around the diagnosis. So I avoided thinking about the, 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 the medical condition that I have, um, regularly. So that alone made it, you know, that, that alone made it so that I wasn't, I wasn't questioning whether or not I should continue to work at the level that I had been working at and whether that was sustainable because I didn't think about my disease in any way. You know, I didn't go to follow up appointments for, for quite a while. And I just kind of thought, I mean, I, I didn't think if I ignored it, it would go away, but I couldn't, I was so uncomfortable in the uncertainty of, of, of the, of the diagnosis and the disease that, um, that I avoided thinking about it almost entirely and just continued to trudge, push ahead. And I can imagine that you weren't able to be in touch with yourself at all then. Like you weren't in touch with your, your body's needs or your mind's needs as long as you were avoiding. Uh, no, it, it was really broad. I mean, I think, I think that's sort of the most, um, I think that's the most I've been sort of out of touch with myself, um, and it compared to just about any period in my life. Um, 
um, you know, I would just sort of do things in the evening that would just entirely numb me out so that I didn't have to think. And kind of as a result, you know, I, I, I didn't have the, the connections that I would have liked to have had with, you know, friends, family, um, relationship and things like that. It sounds like a really hard time. Why did it feel important to pursue your professional goals at any cost? Well, that's a, that's a good question. I think you know, my professional goals are probably related to my upbringing in the sense that, you know, I, I didn't come from um, uh, a place of affluence by any measure. Um, and, and, you know, from a fairly poor family in a poor part of the, the country. Um, and, uh, and so I wanted to get out of that. Like, like I really wanted to, you know, I wanted to make enough money to basically get my entire family out of uh, area that I grew up in. It's an admirable goal. When you look back on how you were trying to get there, can you tell me more about that? Or like, do you see it now as an admirable goal? Yes, I do. I think there's some inflated responsibility there. It, certainly at the time there was, you know, that, in other words, that I didn't, I wasn't necessarily pursuing that goal, maybe talking to myself the right way about how to do it. You know, in other words, I, I it felt like it was a responsibility. You know, I'm thinking of my nieces and nephews and the responsibility that I have to them. Um, but I, I think that that is um, perhaps an inflated, you know, you know, not a reasonable responsibility to take on necessarily. Really well said. Okay. Um, and so the combination of thinking that you had that responsibility and then being hit with a medical illness that you were avoiding, even though you couldn't avoid, was leading to burnout. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just um, just the the trying to kind of like work through, the, you know, like a, like picture an athlete who twisted their ankle or something, and they're trying to play through it, like. Um, I was trying to play through it, and um, yeah, you can do that for a little while, but like it's it's inevitable that 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 you know eventually the ankle's going to give way, and that's that's basically what happened. Is is I was really trying to play through it, um, but it it kind of caught up with me, um, and I just started to be sick more and more often. Um, so I decided to see a therapist uh, locally before I before I saw you. Um, and then I, I finally, it finally wound up with me leaving that part of the country and that industry um, to a more uh, calm version of, the, of, of roughly the same industry. And tell me more about your decision making there. Yeah, you know, it was instinctual. Um, like I said, I was still, I still didn't have many tools for, for sort of dealing with things like perfectionism and the this and my aversion to to certain certain emotions and feelings like fear um so you know i i left my prior job and got a a severance um and the question was well what am i going to do with this um you know should i should i try to find another job in the same industry um or should i get the heck out of this because it, it it's 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 you know it's really um, stretching me to my limits and, and, and I'm not sure if I can do it anymore. Um, so it wasn't a terribly rational, you know, I, I didn't make the decision on the basis of a whole lot of analysis. It was just like, I need to get out of here. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you're starting the psychotherapy process at the same time. Can you tell me about any feelings, fears, um, about starting psychotherapy? Yeah, I mean, I had done psychotherapy before, and um, you know, it, it didn't 
it wasn't all that helpful before. And so a lot of my fears were that basically, you know, that it was going to be, um, it was going to be the same kind of thing. Um, and that it wouldn't be, um, wouldn't be all that helpful. Um, what was and, unhelpful about it? Well, just uh, some, some of the modalities I had done in the past, you know, were, were very childhood focused and things like that. Um, which I think is, it was, it, it wasn't, it wasn't completely useless. Like it was, it was kind of useful to, I think that got me starting to walk down the path. Um, you know, in that, you know, you go in there and you get, you get, you kind of expose yourself to, reflection about these things that happened in the past that you really want to avoid thinking about because of the feelings that they make you have if you do think about them and those are feelings you want to avoid so it was good you know it was good to get some reps in on that i think but overall like without understanding the kind of underlying mechanism for me again it, I, I think is is aversion to certain feelings i think that's like kind of one of the core things for me um yeah the language i would use for that is experiential avoidance yeah okay yeah yeah um but going in there and and getting some exposure to that, I think was good a good step along the way. Um, another thing though that I was scared about or, or worried about early on, um, because I had seen psychotherapists kind of all throughout um, before I moved. But early on, I remember one of the things I was worried about was that, um, that I'd lose an edge of some kind. You know, that in other words, you know, the, the fact that I had just come from you know doing school doing. Um, uh, and, and doing industry and excelling in them for a while, but doing it in a way that that was kind of obviously unhealthy to me, you know, the 80, 80 plus hour weeks um, didn't seem very balanced. I was worried that um, that if I, you know, I, I, I felt as though that was being driven by some kind of um, in, imbalance or, 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 you know, like I, I basically I felt like I was messed up and and it, it was being messed up that was driving me to succeed and i was worried that if i fixed whatever was broken that i would no longer have this drive and therefore i would not meet my goals interesting logic can you can you tell me more about what you thought was broken i mean i just knew that that i just knew that my i just knew that my focus and energy to succeed was unusual um mm -hmm. and and that you know um and you know especially when i was in like undergrad you know there weren't many peers of mine who, who were as driven um i started to be around more and more driven people as i um as i you know started to succeed um and then you know and and in a way it was interesting how many people around me that i also thought maybe <laughs> were doing it from a from a from a from a place that uh was kind of uh like they were running from something basically or you know something along those lines and is that now so tell me how that changed over time do you still feel like you have that drive or that edge even though you've worked through some of your well i guess tell me how that progressed over time well that you know as i said before the reason i wanted to do those things with my career the reason i wanted to succeed was because it wasn't because i valued the career or success in and of itself i valued other things family um and uh you know the ability to maybe retire with a a, a comfortable uh life and to, and to not have the stress of work someday um and the way that evolved i think was to realize that um, was to realize that basically that, 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 you know, sacrificing all those values now in order to reap, reap 
rewards related to those values later on maybe wasn't a good strategy. In other words, I wasn't seeing my family. I wasn't, um, you know, uh, I was sick. I, you know, I was making myself sick. I wasn't um, enjoying life all that much. Um, so I think one of the things that I was able to figure out was that even, you know, as far as what my values actually were, um, that this wasn't even a good way to achieve them. You know, I was sacrificing family to, I was sacrificing family in order to get ultimately closer to my family in some idealized future, um, which just uh, seemed like a good strategy at the time. But I, I think, you know, now I spend a lot of time with my family and um, it's, uh, and, and, you know, I still, I still do. My career was, is not that important to me. Um, it never was. It was just important as a means of getting to these other things. Mm-hmm. And so how would you say that your drive changed? Um, I mean, I can, I, I'm definitely still capable of working hard, um, but it just seems less core to my identity. You know, it's like, I don't, um, so, so perfectionism with work, you know, was, was one of the big things that I was, um, having issues with whenever I first started working with you. Um, and I, I take a lot of that. It's a lot of, e- it's easier now to be less perfectionistic because now that I have a better sense of what my values are, it's like, you know, am I going to spend an extra five hours, you know, making this piece of work a whole lot better, uh, or, or no, not a whole lot better, a little bit better. Um, or am I going to be happy with good enough so that I could spend that five hours doing something, um, more valuable to me? Um, so it's, it's made, so, so in some ways, you know, my output is not as high, um, and maybe not even close. Um, but I'm more satisfied with the level of output and I'm certainly vastly more satisfied with the, um, other areas of my life that I'm able to to spend time with. And so that's wonderful. How did you get there? How did you, what did you do when you first started challenging perfectionism? And first, actually, even before that. How do you know that your thinking was perfectionistic outside of me maybe giving you that label? Yeah, I mean, a management, I worked with a management consultant at one point in time, uh, a management coach, and they were like, oh, well, you know, what you really need to do is, is put in, you know, is be comfortable making a crappy first draft. Um, and I was like, oh, interesting. Yeah, you're right. Like, I'm always one. So, yeah, that got me thinking about that. Um, and as far as your other question about, like, um, how did I get there? I mean, I, I think moving was a, when, when I was, when I was making that decision to move, you know, I did talk to some other people and everybody gave me a refrain that seemed, um, you know, it seemed to be uh, cliche, but was actually right. And that is, you know, you got to put your health first. That's what everyone was saying. And I don't know how much, you know, they were just saying what they should say versus really, th- you know, because I certainly wasn't really thinking hard about it at the time, but I think that that first step of putting my health before my job um, made it a lot easier to put other things before, you know, family before my job and all of these other things. And was that hard to do in the beginning? Um, after I moved, it, it, it was, um, that made things a whole lot easier. Just, uh, that was just a real, that was just a real turn. You know, so in other words, most of the change happened very quickly. Um, and then, but, but that, but, but it wasn't, but it, it didn't completely solve 
the issue of, of you know, occasionally wanting to fixate too much on my work um, and, and wanting to overdo it, especially. I mean, that was, you know, one of my patterns was um, was while it was kind of like while I'm able was the strategy. And that is, you know, if I'm feeling good today, because, you know, I, I could get, you know, on, on a given day, I might be sick and not be able to do much, um, with, you know, with the condition I've got. Or I'm, or even with anxiety, like I might just be having an anxious day and and need to 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 uh, to do less that day. So I had this strategy that I was using um, after I moved of while while I'm able, which is just you know if I'm feeling good, just keep work, keep going, keep going, keep going, um, because I need to get all this stuff done. Because what if I'm not, you know, what if I'm not able to tomorrow? Um, and so. Locating that as 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 not being the best strategy was also was like the second you know the second big step in terms of um, dealing with perfectionism, dealing with uh, sort of working anxiously. So to mirror that back to you, basically first you labeled what was happening, and you decided that perfectionism was a problem of strategy, not outcome. That you could still value excellence without. Um, needing to do things perfectly all the time. Then you use your values to shift your priorities and let yourself um, stop at diminishing returns, we could say, that you some of your out, output was um, at the point of diminishing returns. Um, yeah. And then once you clarified your values, then you started looking at like cognitive distortions. And one of them was, I need to be working as long as I can. Or yeah, like yeah. Able. yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and, and, you know, that, and, and even that hasn't been easy. Um, because it's, you know, when you stop working while you're still able and you're used to having this mindset, um, if you don't decide to respect that decision, um, you're going to keep feeling guilty and feeling doubt about whether or not you should be working. So that was a big one for me as well. You know, while I was in this high stress industry, I never really had all my attention on work or leisure to, to use a word like um, to, des to describe that, which is not work. Um, so, you know, if, if I was working, I was always thinking about how much it sucked that I wasn't able to do all these other things, um, you know, go on a vacation or something like that. But then when I was on vacation, I was feeling guilty about, um, the fact that I wasn't working at that point in time. Um, and, uh, and it was really key. It, I mean, and I still struggle with this, but it's one of the best things I've been able to do is recognize that like, I can, I can tell myself like, no, I've decided not to work now. Um, and so I'm just not going to think about this until tomorrow. So Sunday nights, every Sunday night still, um, you know, I have to tell myself like, no, like I'm not going to worry about that yet. This is still, you know, my time, family time, whatever it is. Um, and, um, and I will, I'll work on that tomorrow. Yes, that's great. And is there something in particular that has helped you when you have that kind of self-talk, what helps your mind actually listen to you? Um, I mean, it helps that like it, well, the, the main thing is that it helps that it's worked in the past. So I can't tell you how, how to get started, but, um, but once you do, like the fact that, you know, I, I know that the, that the magic words of, um, you know, I'm going to make a decision and live in that decision 
I know that that is a is a is a powerful thing to say um, by having tried it a few times and saw, seeing how well it works. So now it is a lot easier to reach for that. Great. Yeah. And just to emphasize that a little bit more, basically the self-talk started as like make a decision and live in it. And that might've been a random Tuesday afternoon at three. Hey, you know, I'm not going to work right now because I need to call my family member about something. I'm going to let whatever I was thinking about go and focus on this, um, you know, this call. That would be one like simple example that whatever you're doing, whether you're doing something with family, you're doing something with leisure, you're working, just make a decision and live in it. Right. And you may have actually practiced that at other times to where <clears throat> now you can say, I made this decision, I'm living in it, even on like a Sunday night. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, a lot of it, a lot of things are really, you know, the practice meta, the, the practice way of framing things is, is really good, I think, because a lot of it is kind of like lifting weights or, or you know trying to meet some kind of athletic goal or something like that like working it out getting reps um all of that is a useful way of thinking about things to me um because it also lets you not be too hard on yourself early on when you're trying out something new yes that's a great point so you've really made a shift away from perfectionistic thinking where it like started as like maybe in therapy that's going to be a threat because my therapist is going to try to get me to act differently than I want to act and not understand what my goals and values are or something like that. So, and you've gone all the way to shifting it towards, I'm going to live differently and I'm going to be excited about the practice of living differently. Um, so can you say more about how that went from threat to opportunity? I mean, just being exposed to the idea that it was like lifting weights was, was, was good. I mean, you know, that, that was like a big revelation at the time, the first, the first time I had heard that, just the idea that it was, um, it's okay to not be great at it the first day. Um, and that actually, you know, if, if, if you just, if you work at it, you kind of build up your skill level, you build up the muscle, um, that, reframed things entirely from thinking that, you know, that there was going to be a magic solution that will flip a switch um, to the idea that, you know, that, that you know, what instead is, is likely to happen rather than finding a magic switch is that you can iteratively um, improve what is ailing you through repetition and, and work, basically, but it is work. Um, so, so that, coming to terms with that, um, was was really helped out by talking about it like it was work at working out or you know practicing your your three point shot or something like that. Great, yeah. And the other thing that I want to comment on that I think is a really good metaphor is the difference between soreness and injury. Where if you grew up th thinking that if you were sore after you were running around, then that was a problem. There's something inherently wrong with you and that you're weak. You might want to, you might find any kind of exercise aversive. And like, rather than thinking, I feel sore because I had a good workout or I was playing a lot. Um, it shifted to, I feel sore. That means I'm weak. Then again, you, you wouldn't want to go towards that activity. So I think that's how a lot of us learn about emotion. Like if I'm feeling anxious, if I'm feeling sad, if I'm feeling angry, that means I'm weak. Um, rather than it's okay. It's normal, natural, healthy, and adaptive to have all of those feelings and actually 
um, having those feelings, label them for what they are and, and practicing working with them effectively uh, might be painful, but it's more um, analogous to like soreness than it is to injury. Um, do you have thoughts about that? Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. It's like um, the, just the idea that um, I also like the framing of like, you know, that, that it's not that when, when an emotion enters, you know, the first question shouldn't be like, what's wrong with me? Um, or, or just that that's not a useful, not a useful way to frame things necessarily. The idea, like normalizing, um, you know, everybody, everybody's internal experience is going to feel, I mean, I, it seems quite understandable to me that a person's internal experience feels abnormal to them since they are they only have access to their own internal experience, right? Um, so if you get in the habit of, 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 of thinking that your internal experience is unusual, you know, it's going to be hard for you're not going to suddenly stumble one day into someone else's consciousness and see, oh, wow, this person gets anxious, too. Um, so there's a bit of a leap of faith there. But, it, but it's also pretty reasonable, right, to, to think that, 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 you know, anything I feel probably people feel that every now and then um and and that you know maybe the main difference is that they don't um they don't have a huge um negative reaction to that feeling or thought coming in mm-hmm. and even my past self didn't so 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 you know it's, it's so i guess it's not quite true that i that, that you only have access to one set of experiences because your experience will change over time as well and you I, have I access to your yeah self. i know i didn't used to you know get worried that I was going to have a panic attack just because I was feeling a little lightheaded. Oh, and then what shifted? Um, well, no, I like that, you know, now, so, you know, I started to have panic attacks at one point and what I've been learning lately with that is that like, um, you know, and, and what causes them are certain physical symptoms, you know, or, or what triggers them are certain physical symptoms. And something I've realized lately is like, well, you know, you used to feel upset to your stomach and not, you know, and not get particularly anxious by that. Um, you know, that didn't make you particularly anxious. So now, now that my stomach's feeling weird, you know, do I, do I, you know, why don't I try not being, why don't I just try saying, okay, yeah, my stomach's upset rather than saying, oh no, a panic attack is coming because my stomach's upset. <laughs> um, so that's been that's been pretty helpful. Yeah. So you're not adding second fear anymore. Right. And what I mean, I it's mean imperfect. By that. I, it, you know, yeah. but but yes, that's been that's been helpful. And let me just explain that a little bit more. First fear is your automatic reaction. So the fight or flight response. Your heart is racing. Your stomach drops. Your muscles tighten up. Blood shoots out to your arms and legs. You stop digesting. Um, your breathing changes. When your breathing changes, some people get tingly or dizzy. Um, and so that's, and you have catastrophic sticky thinking. So that's like first fear. Second fear is, oh no, what does this mean? What, why is this happening? And what do I need to do to make it go away? And so it sounds like you still have something that is akin to a first fear, which might be like, um, your stomach hurting a little bit, but you're not adding, oh no, what's wrong with me? Right. Yeah, exactly. Is there anything in particular that helped you get there or did you just put your reps in? I think the reps really, really helped. Um, and again, uh, that little key idea was was kind of useful. Just that, like that, uh, an upset stomach doesn't have to mean a panic attack because it ha- for most of my life it did not. Good.
Um, do you want to say, so you said at the beginning when you were diagnosed with your illness, you started a lot of emotional avoidance also. So in addition to perfectionism, emotional avoidance really um, probably caused your burnout and um, created suffering for you. How have you, sh how have you shifted your relationship with feelings? Yeah, so this is uh, this is like maybe one of the biggest themes for me, and one of the things I'm most thankful for uh, getting out of psychotherapy, and that is just the idea that um, you know I think the being raised in kind of like a blue collar family um, that where you know kind of masculinity was a very important thing to to some of the male figures in my life, and that masculinity fairly narrowly construed was um, as well um, made it such that. Um, I think that, you know, I didn't develop the emotional vocabulary that some people get the opportunity to develop as children because certain emotions like uh, fear, um, sadness, uh, things like that were not necessarily acceptable emotions um, in the in, in the family that I grew up in and even even in the kind of in the culture that I grew up in. Um, and but anger was anger was just fine in my house and in my town. Um, as a as a means of of of, of kind of you know you're either happy or you're angry basically was is, is, were, were the were the two easiest modes for a lot of the folks that I was around growing up so um, so I think um, of course I didn't know any of this at, at the time you know I was, I was really in it so so I wasn't able to access it rationally but one of the things that was really key. And, and I started to, to realize this after I started to see you and my and my last therapist was this idea that um, that when so first of all when I feel angry um, because it's not like you know the process is like if if something makes me sad um, it's not like I'll just ignore it and not feel anything what I'll do is I'll transmute it into anger um, and and so somehow I was able to get a hold of that process. Um, and, and start to see that more often. Um, and, and it really started, I think, with tracking when I'm feeling angry. Um, you know, just, uh, that's been my most useful pattern for therapy is, you know, hear about a concept, commit to looking for it, you know, being curious about it in my own life. And then, um, you know, kind of coming back with, with what I find out and, and, you know, usually something will come up that'll, that, you know, from, from somebody else or, or, or from you that suggests uh, a different way of thinking about it that, that makes things more helpful. So for me, uh, with all of this, you know, I knew I, I started to realize that like, oh, sadness is really hard for me. You know, I watched some Netflix show about this too, you know, apparently men and sadness, um, women and anger, you know, these, these two things, society doesn't like those two things together. Um, so I, I watched that Netflix documentary and boy, was that helpful. Um, just to see that, you know, lots of men are, turning sadness into anger. Um, and, um, and so I was able to start looking out for, for anger because I would, I'd get angry every, every now and then and really angry sometimes, you know, especially while shopping. Um, and, you know, I'd get angry at, at people I was working with. And I found that this case building thing was a big part of it. Um, first of all, um, you know, that I would just be saying all these things in my head, like, Oh, you know, like she knows she's wasting our time here. Like, why is she, you know, spending forever looking at this? You know, um, and just really, um, not the best self-talk in terms of uh, getting in touch with what was really going on. Um, and 
but more often, you know, more and more often, I, I would be able to see this process and um, get out in front of it a little bit and acknowledge the actual emotions that might that might be there. So now for me, when I feel angry, um, my first move is to be like, well, what is it really? Um, and sometimes it's anger. Um, you've given me, you know, at least a, a checkbox of things where anger, you know, is, is the appropriate response, right? So if someone's violating boundaries or, um, you know, being rude or insulting or something like that, yeah, anger is probably the appropriate response. But I'd still say, you know, I don't encounter a whole lot of those things in my life, uh, but I still have, um, it's still easy for me to go to anger, um, but it doesn't burn as brightly anymore because, um, you know, I, I'm able to get ahead of that, um, that case building process and I'm able to reflexively say, okay, this is anger or, you know, I, I'm feeling angry, but what is it really? Um, and, you know, up until a year or two ago, you know, I think the number of times in my life that I have said internally or externally, I am sad or I am scared, you know, probably 10 times each maximum for, you know, 30 some years of my life. I literally never said or thought those things. All of that was very good, just to mirror some stuff back to you and talk about some of the concepts that you're describing. With the case building, um, that's if um, catastrophic thinking is to anxiety, then building a case is to anger. So one way to know that you're experiencing anger is you notice that you're building a case, so you're thinking about all the things that the other person is doing wrong. Um, so thank you for using that term. Um, I think your, your use of psychotherapy is a great example that basically what you're saying is you use, you heard about a concept, you self-monitored, you look for that, you know, you heard about a concept like anger, you then looked for it in your everyday life, you got data about it, you brought it back to group, we talked about it as a group, I offered things, other people offered things, um, you got a new perspective, and then you started to add that into your life, and then you even came up with new self-talk, like, what else might be going on, rather than this feeling, and now that feeling doesn't have the same power over you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and just getting more comfortable again, you know, I've seen, you know, there's there's these versions of therapy that I've seen on TV where, you know, someone's afraid of, of, of flying or afraid of a dog or, you know, afraid of dogs. And, you know, what they'll do is first they bring the dog into the room and then, you know, and, and after, you know, 10 iterations of this, eventually the person's petting a dog, this person who has had a lifelong, like, terrified reaction to dogs. I feel that's, that's, so for, for those emotions of mine, you know, we're literally, the first time I talked about being scared or sad in therapy was the 11th time in my life I had ever done that. Um, you know, like, like getting closer and closer to the scary emotion, you know, but, but, but not over, not going overboard, uh, desensitizing myself to, to the, um, you know, the learning that oh, these emotions aren't that bad, you know, they, they kind of don't feel great, but they are not, you know, they're not going to come with a lot of social sanction like they would have when I was a kid in my household or, 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 you know, among my peers. Like nobody's going to yell at like, so learning that those emotions were safe to have, um, was, it has been really helpful. Of course, you know, these are very old habits and especially with fear. Um, it's hard for me to, uh, to, to not run from that feeling and avoid it. Yes, I agree with you on everything, especially how psychotherapy in and of itself can be a, a, um, exposure to emotion. And I think that you've used it really well. And the way that you described that was really great. Um, 
in awareness of our time, why don't we close here and then come back to fear? I know there's a number of different um, skills that we've kind of worked on together to relate to fear more effectively. So does that sound like a good place to pick up? Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Jim, so much for your time. Yep. Thank you so much for listening. If you felt any benefit from the show, please let us know and share it with anyone you think would also find benefit. As a disclaimer, please consult your doctor or therapist before attempting any strategy shared here. Thank you.